Hello and welcome to Resi Talks. I'm Emma Rossa, EG's Residential Editor, and in this episode we are talking about modern methods of construction. MMC has long been hailed the solution to sustainable development and lack of labour in the housing industry. As construction costs rise, with the UN declaring a code red for humanity in a climate change crisis, there has never been a greater need for this. But scaling is a challenge and the industry is fragmented. There are high upfront costs preventing profitability in early days, but still a lack of understanding and caution from lenders and volume house builders. What is needed to overcome this? To find out, I spoke to Patrick Bergen, CFO at Ilka Homes and the former Chief Executive of Cress Nicholson, Andrew Shepherd, Managing Director of Top Hat, and Hannah Holmes, Research Associate at the University of Cambridge and co-author of the report Deploying Modular Housing in the UK from Places for People. The conversation began with Hannah explaining the background to the report, why she wanted to examine the industry now and her biggest findings. So we've got to look at this, I think, in the context of what's happening now in the housing market. Um, We've got serious housing shortages at the moment. Demographics are changing, more people living alone, smaller household sizes, so demand has gone up. Um, And the government has set building targets of 300,000 new homes a year, which are not being met by a long way. So we've also got a crisis of housing affordability, a shortage of social housing leading to long waiting lists. Um, We've got to think about housing quality as well. 15 million people in the UK live in poor quality housing. Um, So obviously we've got problems with housing itself, which needs to be addressed if we're going to deal with the housing inequalities that we're facing. Um, And then in the construction sector, we've got low productivity. We've got the impacts of Brexit. We've got labour shortages. We've got the climate emergency. Um, All those things contributing to the shortfall. And we're hearing a lot about pandemic recovery. So modern methods of construction often promoted um, as solutions to some of these challenges that are being faced by the industry. So we felt that it was important to collate some of the information that's out there, bring together a sort of overview of what the barriers are to an increased uptake of of off-site construction um, and modern methods of construction, as well as the opportunities um, so that we can sort of contribute to that conversation on what can be done to overcome these challenges. And so you you were working with places for people on this and you were kind of looking at the industry and looking at the research. And we have heard a lot of talk about, you know, the the clear opportunities and some of you've mentioned there, but also some of the challenges. What really struck you within the report? I think there's just the sheer number of challenges that there are. Um, But I I guess if I was to pick one key challenge, I would say that um, the current house building model Um, lacks incentives to build on a faster scale and on a larger scale um, because of fears that it could lower prices and reduce profits. And off-site construction can obviously produce housing much more quickly than traditional approaches. Um, So some estimates suggest it takes half the time to produce Mm -hmm. a a modular house. Um, But the upfront costs of of off-site construction are high. Obviously you need factories to be built um, rather than selling houses incrementally. You're going to have a lot of houses ready for sale at a similar time. So many developers won't be able to make those investments unless they've got a guaranteed pipeline of demand um, to ensure the market absorption of their product at the end um, to make it financially viable. And Andrew, I saw you nodding there when Hannah mentioned the house building model. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think Hannah describes it very well. I I mean, I think it's fair to say that the housing market doesn't want or doesn't need or isn't able to respond. Um, if you were to start looking at the housing market, if they were to start delivering more homes, they'd have two twin problems that would start to erode profits very quickly. The first is they don't have the capacity to deliver more homes, so they create their own microinflation. So there aren't enough bricklayers, there aren't enough plasterers, so they create their own inflation in their own market, pushing their costs up. 
then if you start delivering more homes, actually you're going to push prices down. So you create the, the, this double-headed problem of higher costs and, and lower selling prices. And that's not something that these house builders are looking to do. Mm-hmm. So actually we need to increase the ability to deliver homes without affecting productivity. Um, but then there's a secondary element of creating demand for new homes that isn't entirely led by, by pure sales. Um, and I think we're starting to see that. We're starting to see build to rent and, and PRS becoming a very, very large and, and growth market. Uh, and we're also seeing housing associations starting to push forward with, with more house building as well. Patrick, what are your thoughts on this? And you've got a wealth of experience within the house building industry yourself. Yeah, and I, and I think if I'm totally honest, I would have a slightly less um, conspiratorial view of the behaviour of the major house builders, because actually most volume house builders would love to deliver more volume. And actually, the impact on price is pretty modest because it's not really the trade off in the market isn't really against what you're selling yourself. It's against what everyone else is selling for. So we are house builders are largely price takers in a marketplace and they might charge a bit of a premium because everything is brand new and shiny, etc. But fundamentally, they don't set prices because anyone who's looking to buy in a 90 percent of the delivery into the UK is, is the resale of existing homes. So actually, I don't really, and I haven't empirically seen that the behaviour of house builders is that they restrict supply in order to maintain profitability. But I do think the point is absolutely well made um, that the sector is um, increasingly incapable of reaching housing targets. Um, And that is very much a function of the fact that this is frankly a low productivity industry. Um, and you know the, the fact that we are delivering the vast majority of our housing delivery comes from methods which have existed for hundreds of years and barely changed. You know we ought to say Kelsaprise, um, because it's really just uh, you know it has been left behind. Um, you know where, where so many other sectors of the economy have had to modernise and change quite rapidly, house building has frankly not made the changes that it needed to have made in order to face into the future. So I think we're now seeing, um, amongst all of the major house builders actually, we are starting to see toes in the water because they recognise that um, the number of people who want to work in wet trades are significantly reducing. So you've got a very ageing workforce in terms of bricklayers and plasterers, skimming, etc. You've got, um, frankly, with Brexit, there will be some net impact of on the construction workforce. I think the last time we had a survey, there was nearly 20% of the construction workforce came from Europe. Now, many, of course, have stayed, but the usual churn applies. And when some leave, fewer will come if they can't settle. I think that's that's just going to be arithmetic. Um, and of course, the other reality is, you know, to your point about the the climate report, when you're trying to build out in a field and it's tipping with rain and your hole is full of water uh, and the wind is blowing and your stock's got wet and and so on and so forth, that's going to have a you know an impact on what's already a low productivity activity. I think um, I recall that when I was at Quest, there was a stat in the industry that said at any one point in time, 40% of plots, nothing is happening. You know, which is very interesting because. I can't think of another industry that would find that an acceptable level of performance that you wander down the car production line and you see that 40 cars are just sitting there doing nothing. You know, we, there is an absolute productivity challenge 
Um, and I think, you know, I mean, there are just so many areas where MMC, you know, is, is poised to make a contribution. But I, I think my conclusion is that the, the traditional sector is not particularly conspiring, but equally they are not capable of meeting the demand that's needed. We've seen some moves from some of the house builders to try to um, embrace and, and I'm not sure you know, how much um, emphasis and how much focus is on on that. For example, Barclay has their factory. Um, I, I don't know the stats of what's coming out in terms of build versus factory built. I don't know when you were at Crest, what were those conversations? Was, was there even you know an option of you know, can we do this? Yeah, so we absolutely, um, when I was at Crest, we had started to engage with um, some light gauge steel um, modern methods of manufacture. Um, and of course, one of the realities you know, we soon encountered is that you had a, a sort of a surprising disconnection between the size of a, a Crest, for example, and the very small scale, typically, of an MMC operator. Mm-hmm. But whilst their technology was of great interest and their delivery was was good, um, fundamentally, there was a sort of a mismatch between, if you like, the sort of mom and pop operations that did MMC um, and the the large PLCs that had an interest. So inevitably, it was always a minor part of what we did. Now, part of what we were doing was in order to test the water. Is this the right approach or is that the right approach? Um, it also made sense, of course, that we would use um, such an approach to deliver houses where there was a known end buyer. So our first major um, scheme was um, for PRS, where mm-hmm. we knew speed of delivery, made a lot of sense to the client, gave great certainty to us in terms of placing an order with a MMC operator to say, you know, here's a proper, you know, we've got a proper contract, proper design, you know, the, all of that investment makes sense because we're going to crack out, you know, well over 100 PRS flats in a hurry. And it was very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went to a site and you thought, wow, this site is so tidy. Um, it's so clean. It's, you know, it's gone up at tremendous speed. Um, so there was, uh, you know, you could see the benefits. Um, but it's true to say, I think that a lot of the industry has really been putting its toe in the water. I'm not entirely sure which horses to back. Uh, and I think I'm sure we'll come to talk about investment at some point. But I think that is part of it is there was always just a, well, I'm, you know, I'm a big PLC and I'm dealing with a pretty small supplier here. So uh, am I confident to to really, you know, put down some big orders, if you like. Mm. Andrew, what are you seeing from the other side of it at the moment you're actively scaling with a second factory on the way? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing all sorts of different things. I mean, to Patrick's point, we're seeing demand from house builders, we're seeing demand from HAs, we're seeing demand from, from all quarters. Um, we're still having the challenge with house builders in terms of that conversation piece around actually our aspiration is to deliver as many units as quickly as possible on a site. And we would never want 40 percent of plots not doing anything. We want to be delivering as quickly as possible because that's how you realise the benefits of MMC. Um, and to come back to sort of slightly challenge the point Patrick makes, actually you go and deliver a hundred unit scheme in the shortest time possible. You've possibly got too many homes available to sell, and that can cause a problem. So actually, it's looking at how MMC can be embraced by those particular markets, and it really, really does suit that PRS space. I think one of the other challenges that we're looking at. Um, is very much around actually the evidence uh, and the evidential piece around this. Um, I know Hannah's colleagues at the University of Cambridge have published last year a paper looking at quantifying the benefits of offsite construction. And one of the things they found very, very difficult was evidence around cost, time and quality, getting that data, getting that evidence. And if you're a big PLC, one of the questions you're going to be asked by investors is where is the evidence that it is quicker, it is better quality and it's faster? 
Yeah, Hannah, I mean, that was one of the major findings that I took away, at least from the most recent report as well. Where is the evidence? And we need to be compiling that evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it does really boil down to questions of risk. Um, So modern methods of construction are often viewed as a, a slightly riskier approach because they're not quite as tried and tested in the market as traditional approaches. Um, if you're able to make a good profit by following the status quo, I guess you need sort of incentives to to make that shift off site construction. And yeah, definitely there's a lack of evidence for some of these benefits. Um, we know that there are benefits anecdotally and there is some evidence of, of that, but the evidence is nowhere near as comprehensive enough to sort of make that case concretely at the moment. I guess what's the solution to that? Is that really, you know, all tied in with that requirement of needing scale? I mean, I I think certainly from my point of view, the thing that will help this tip is that clearly in the housing market, we've got a real problem of affordability in the UK, you know, and that's just been ramped even more heavily over the last couple of years. So there is a huge sector of housing need which doesn't come from open market purchase. So, the, you know, the challenges about volume delivery tend to be an open market challenges because there's always a sales rate um, for any one location. But we have huge needs for intermediate tenures. So, you know, working with RPs, working with other sort of social investment funds, as we are with Man Group at Grantham, um, working with obviously um, PRS um, suppliers as well, you know, frankly, if we focus our attention on those groups for the time being, I think the the concept is pretty proven. The economics have got to now be proven. Uh, and there's a great opportunity to do that. Um, but I think it is quite interesting. If, if you draw a parallel with the um, sort of electric car industry, few people use electric cars today. And people's anxiety about using them is, well, is there going to be the support? Is the infrastructure going to be there to support this purchase? And am I buying the right one? Have I got the right plug, et cetera? And actually, the thing that's given it a huge fillip, of course, is government saying, well, look, guys, some way down the line, we're all going to be doing it. So get yourself in gear. Um, and whilst it's still, frankly, a you know a thinly formulated plan, at least people know it's coming. Mm. You know, we've been put on notice. And I do wonder whether there isn't a role somewhere for government to actually say, you may be a bit nervous, you may be a bit unsure as to which horse you're going to back, but guys, you need to get ready. You need to start doing it. You need to recognise that, you know, level one MMC, proper sort of, you know, 3D MMC is coming to a town near you in the next sort of 10, 15 years. And we're beginning to see, of course, in some of the funding that's attached to um, affordable housing. But, you know, maybe this is a route. Maybe sometimes people need just a little shove off the diving board to uh, to actually really plunge in. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, Patrick, because it it takes that leadership and that push to get people to make that decision to jump into MMC. Um, It's the old adage, no one ever got fired for appointing IBM. Um, No one's ever going to get fired for using a traditional construction solution because it's comfortable. Everyone knows what it is. There's so much muscle memory in doing things traditionally. So to make a decision to go and do something that bit different really takes leadership or a really strong push. Um, so that incentive is incredibly important. Yeah, we. I mean, we see Chris Pincher and Robert Jenrick frequently talk, and their predecessors, many, many predecessors um, over recent years, frequently talking about modern methods of construction and, and the benefits. But I guess what have we really seen in terms of commitment? Um, Hannah, putting this report together, you've looked at the government actions as well. As Patrick mentioned, we are seeing some initiatives which place requirements for 
some level of MMC to be delivered within the public sector. Um, so there's the Affordable Homes Programme. Um, so many housing associations are signing partnership deals with Homes England to build affordable homes. And then they have to commit to using MMC for 25% mm. of their pipeline. Um, I think that there does seem to be um, quite a lot of political will at the minute to promote MMC. Um, we're seeing that a lot in, um, I guess, this rhetoric around around that. And I think that the public sector is obviously a key client for a lot of off-site construction and for a lot of modular homes with social housing being a key market for that. I guess, how could they improve that? How can central government really commit, you know, be that through Homes England, be that through grant funding or, or frameworks and regulation? I mean, if I, if I have a quick crack at this, if, if I were a politician, I would be saying, look at MMC and look at our top five political um, mantras, if you like, levelling up, productivity, climate, housing, you know, all of those come together in an MMC solution because you are, you know, you take, um, you know, I've, I've, I've recently joined Ilka Homes in, um, in, in Yorkshire. We're providing homes all over the country, but we're looking to recruit, you know, four to five hundred people in Yorkshire. You know, so that for me, being a, being a soft southerner, that, that sounds like a bit like levelling up to me that, you know, we've got uh, great employment opportunities being offered in further up, up the country. So there isn't the usual sort of suck to the south in terms of opportunity. And that would be true for anybody templating a factory anywhere in the country to to deliver housing wherever it's needed. From a productivity point of view, you know, I'm sure the same is true of Andrew's operation that, you know, these are high productivity environments. And with the with the right amount of demand, you know, you're also offering employment. You know, this isn't the sort of traditional heavy industry, if you like, type employment. Anyone can work in these in these locations. It's dry because it's highly automated. It means, you know, you don't have to be a sort of a big beefy workman in order to, to work in a, um, although we also accept big beefy workmen. Um, but, uh, you know, but you can, you know, it's attractive employment to anybody. Um, and I think this, uh, and clearly, ultimately, it's highly productive. So, you know, if we are delivering, the, the government are not going to hit their housing target, you know, full stop, unless there is a step change in the um, the manner of delivery. It's not just the will, you know, but everybody can pledge to try. Um, it's not going to happen. And I think we can see that it's not going to happen unless there is a, a change of attitude. Uh, one thing I'd add is I, I do think there is there is a good level of government support. You've mentioned things like the 25% grant um, and the requirement for MMC. The, the one other area that I think is currently just lacking that bit behind is around the sustainability piece. Um, both, both Patrick's organisation and ourselves will deliver you a zero carbon home, will deliver you a much more efficient home that probably produces significantly less waste and performs that much better. Um, but there's no incentive for the buyer to buy a better performing home. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an opportunity there to start looking at stamp duty and the tax regime actually to incentivize people to build better homes, um, because currently there is absolutely none. Um, and yet, if you look back in time there's always been an incentive to go and actually improve your home and things like the green homes grants to go and improve existing stock well actually if we're still delivering stock that's not quite good enough um that that's not the right space to be we should be delivering very energy efficient homes here and now uh and, and incentivizing people through that tax regime yeah and just to go back to the leveling up agenda um that's been mentioned um we've been doing some work in my team about this and around um the relationship between offsite construction and levelling up. And one of these 
um, hypothetical benefits of offsite construction is that you could build, you could have a housing development in a wealthy part of the southeast and build it in a less advantaged part of the northeast, for example. But again, it comes down to the questions of, of the data on this. We need more evidence to, to say what is actually happening at the moment. We don't really know whether those benefits are actually being met in practice on a, on a, on a large scale. These are obviously things we need to think about in relation to levelling up what the impact of that would be for local economies. Would there be a loss of local economic benefit? Um, would that help in levelling up? Where are these jobs, what kind of jobs are going to be created and where? Um, so I think in looking at levelling up and thinking about rebalancing the economy and overcoming inequalities both on a local and regional scale, we do need to um, really think about that. That's that's a really interesting point. And I think there was an LNG report recently on levelling up um, and, and they were really stressing that they there is a need kind of in the north for employment and there is a need in the south for homes. But I guess that really puts that on the provider to, to select and to opt to work, uh, you know, provide that employment um, whilst ultimately delivering homes quite far away. I mean, is, is, is that a challenge or, or not so much? I mean, it, I can give you an empirical example in that we have recently signed a deal to deliver homes in West Sussex, which will be manufactured in Yorkshire. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I think the great thing, obviously, there it's plus and minus in any one locality if you sort of take some of the work away. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, factories can and will be no doubt located in areas where there is good availability of labour. And mm-hmm. therefore, in a sense, implied otherwise, you know, relatively high unemployment. Um, and they will undoubtedly be delivered to the most economically prosperous parts of the country, as well as other parts. So if those areas are already economically prosperous, then they arguably don't need even more employment. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at, that, at a very high level, um, it absolutely plays to levelling out, but it also plays to access. Because as I say, these are roles where these are environments where anybody can work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that matters a great deal. Um, and actually you know, where they can work flexibly and safely and, you know, and, and consistently because they're under a roof, um, you know, so I think that that make that makes a, a very big difference. The other thing that perhaps I haven't um, raised, but is also relevant is what we're doing on quality. So and Andrew mentioned sustainability already and zero carbon, and that's absolutely a key element. But one of the great things about building a home, um, in our case, in light gauge steel, which is highly engineered to, you know, high levels of tolerance, is that also because you're because of the environment in which you're constructing it, you've got an opportunity to really keep pushing on quality in a way that perhaps somebody out in a muddy field is it's always an uphill struggle. So I think you know this is consumers quite rightly of all tender types have high you know and increasing standards, um, and uh, and we we are you know looking to to meet them on those and and to recognise that whoever you are, the home that you live in is, is, is a very precious environment. And we want to uh, we want to be in that business of supplying, you know, very high quality, um, very enjoyable spaces. I mean, these are when you see these this product out installed in their locations and finished off, they are fabulous. You know, this is not this is not a supply of a lower quality offer. And I think that's a possibly a perception issue that we need we need to get away from some of the perception issues are undoubtedly around because when you see them installed uh, and finished off they're fabulous you know they're well designed they look and feel like a traditionally built home but you know they have all of the benefits that MMC has uh, has brought to bear. 
I guess that quality and kind of guess it's sort of about quantifying that quality in a way and, and maybe that kind of ties back to to what Hannah is saying about needing evidence and gathering data and actually proving and showing to try to break those perceptions. Another interesting point was that gathering this data enables greater confidence. That's for house builders, that's for lenders and that's also for buyers. Yeah, totally. I think from the buyer's perspective, we kind of need to acknowledge that offset construction isn't new per se. Um, it's not an entirely novel idea to prefabricate buildings. Britain has been making prefabricated buildings since the 1800s. And obviously, the probably the most um, well-known example of historic offsite construction is the post-war prefabs, um, which I think a lot of the perceptions stem from. Obviously, they were put up very quickly in the midst of a national mm-hmm. housing shortage, a skills shortage, returning armed forces. Um, so they were built for quantity rather than quality, which obviously isn't the case anymore. Um, so I think there is a there's still work to be done to overcome those perceptions. And obviously, that would be about giving consumers some kind of certainty and confidence about the longevity of modular constructions, trust that the value of their modular homes are going to behave in a, in a similar way to traditional constructed houses. And also, I suppose, thinking about the future as well in terms of maintenance of, of these homes and addressing preconceptions about what can be done with modular building. How do you guys feel about Hannah bringing up the post-war um, prefabs there? <laughs> I think it, I think it's an important part of the history, um, and uh, I, I always go back to cars. Um, if you were to look at post-war cars and how they performed and the technology involved in in delivering those, uh, a car built in the 1950s would be uh, you know entirely different product to one built now. But actually, if you went to traditional construction, there's a there's a great Pathé Images video of homes being built in 1919 um, after the after the First World War and uh, part of the Homes for Heroes program. And you could take any one of those workers from 1919 and put them on a traditional construction site today, give them some high vis and a, and a hard hat, and they'd be able to do exactly the same thing um, because it's exactly the same process. What we're doing in the offsite world is the technology, the processes, the automation, the QA processes have changed hugely since the 1950s. And we're talking about an entirely different proposition. Mm-hmm. So if we were to think about cars and planes that were built in 1950s and the manufacturing process then and comparing it to now, it's just it's, it's incomparable. They're completely different and it should be the same and it very much is the same in the way that the, the offset housing market has improved too. With, with that, you know, that it is completely different and that kind of emphasis on technology, what sort of different training does that require to meet those needs? So it, it's, a, it's a different workforce. Um, we're not competing with traditional uh, house builders or traditional construction. We're not looking for bricklayers. We're not looking for, mm-hmm. for those traditional skills. Actually, what we're looking for is a multi-skilled workforce. And actually, as part of that process, we need to train them up. We do not want to be doing uh, wet processes in the factory. So we want to be eliminating that, mm-hmm. that water usage, um, reducing the waste. So we try and make it a much drier process, uh, much more of a, a manual installation process. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, it requires us to invest in training in, in our people to make sure they're able to deliver um, this, this new workforce. Um, and it, it is a very multi-skill workforce. It's more inclusive, as Patrick said. You know, it can be the big burly guy or it can, it can be um, the smaller woman. It can be all sorts of different people. It, it, it's, it's appropriate for everyone. And and Andrew mentioned waste there. I think that's a you know very interesting um, area as well, something one which we're increasingly conscious of. And 
I was alarmed at uh, when I was um, in the traditional sector that 25% of the stuff that was delivered to our site used to go out in a skip. Uh, now it might have gone out in a skip, some of which would be recycled, but any any process of that type is still wasteful, and there's still going to be you know needless energy, needless transport, etc. Um, and it, you know it's part of the prize that uh, you know as as we as we move to a more highly engineered productive environment that that the associated waste and um, sort of dissipation if you like of uh, scarce resources uh, will be reduced i guess that's all tying into that we need to be building in a different way if you know the industry that housing industry um is wasteful and and the contribution to climate change and, and carbon emissions um, needs to be addressed. Do you think that, that this can be a step change now and this can be a turning point um, given recent reports? I think that one of the things that frankly there needs to be a little bit more honesty and transparency over is um, what it what is really MMC because mm-hmm. you know we have these multiple levels described and at their most basic that just sounds like you know, the way that the Saxons built things, you know, get some wooden strips and nail them together. I mean, that's not MMC. I think I think we've got to be honest about, you know, what is real MMC? It's only real MMC if it drives the benefits that MMC drives. So we should have a, a, a good look at standards and say, we know what the prices are, we know what the challenges are. We know that, you know, we've got a real need to house people and we've consistently let them down. Mm-hmm. So you know, let, let's just be a little bit more honest, a bit more brave, uh, a bit more, show a bit more leadership so that, um, you know, and, and I do echo Andrew's point. I think government is, government wants to be supportive and government appreciates, of course, that the traditional house builders are still going to be the main source of supply. This is about supplying for the people who don't have, you know, and, and that just, you know, that is the key theme is, is how do we as provide for those who are missing out? Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I think a bit a bit of extra courage, a bit of extra conviction, never say no to a bit of extra money, um, you know, all helps. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's worth adding. I, I don't think either sort of ILCA or ourselves or other MMC contractors are actually trying to deliver those consistently delivered 150,000 homes a year that have been delivered for the last 25, 30 years. Actually, we're trying to deliver the next 50,000. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's about increasing capacity and increasing that productivity because we don't we don't need to compete with those existing people because they're already doing what they do and they do it really well. Um, mm-hmm. They've been doing it for years. They, they you know, the house builders make good margins. There's a there's a good industry that, that's done what it does. Actually, to increase the capacity, we need to, to do things differently. And that's where we come in. It's the next 50,000, the next 100,000 homes that get delivered. One thing I wanted to ask all of you, actually, looking at the industry and, you know, that extra 50,000 and, and, and the, the, you know, the industry of MMC contractors, um, what would you say the biggest changes have been over the last five years? I think there was, a you know, a landmark moment with Mark Farmer's Modernise or Die report. Both of you, I guess, could say that, well, your businesses were started would be, uh, you know, an obvious one. But, but what's been the, kind of the, the biggest changes over those five years? Uh, for me, it's been very much the institutional investors coming into the space, uh-huh. the TDR Capitals, the, the LNGs, the Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Actually, that's that's been a real game changer. Um, it hasn't been traditional construction companies investing in, in house building. It's not been house builders investing in, in MMC. It's been new entrants to the market, these disruptors. Uh, and for me, that's what's really changed the game because they've got the ability and the scale to, to make the investment required. Uh, I mean, factories are very expensive things to build. 
um, and cost a lot of money to get them up and established. So that for me has been the big game changer. Yeah, and I think I would say I have noticed a bit of a change at the political level. I mean, it's interesting when I first came into house building in the early noughties, um, housing wasn't really a political theme at all. You know, it would occasionally be in someone's manifesto, but frankly, nobody was really that interested. Um, now, as we've seen, you know, huge growth in house prices because of years of under delivery, um, now it is on people's agenda. And of course, you know, you only have to think about our experience for the last few years um, with, with, you know, being sort of compelled to, to stay and work at home. It, it must have elevated in people's minds the conditions in which people live. You know, so if people are overcrowded or in their poor quality accommodation, um, then, you know, trying to work from home is, is you, know, even, you know, that just com compounds, if you like, their disadvantage. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I like Andrew's point a lot, you know, that I think this is, this is not really about competition. This is not about trying to get everyone else to change. This is about recognising that this industry sits alongside the traditional industry in order to create a prospect of actually delivering the volume you know across all tenure types that is going to be needed in order to give everyone the home they deserve and i'd add to that as well of course the modernize or die report um highlighted that we we're approaching a skills crisis a shortage of skills and that really has not gone away um we've had brexit and we've got the covid 19 pandemic since then so those challenges with labor supply are um even heightened but yeah, I'd echo what Patrick said. I think from our conversations with people in offsite manufacturing, it's become quite clear that quite a lot of the demand at the moment for offsite construction is coming from public sector clients. So I think there has perhaps been a bit of a shift in um, the government's approach to, to construction since 2016. Um, and that's maybe driving in part some of the changes that we're seeing. And I think that has probably been driven as well by, by the concerns that were raised in that report. To sort of lead on from that you know what have you seen over the last five years what would you like to see over the next five years and what should be the priority from my perspective i think um to build on what's already been said i think we've got very limited data on what the picture is at the moment so i think we need to do more research to find out exactly what an increased shift to off-site construction and modular homes would mean for local communities for the economy um, and for the housing market and to ensure that we deliver a system that meets needs without exacerbating already entrenched inequalities that are, that are there. For me, I think uh, a, a renewed focus on sustainability um, mm -hmm. and making sure that, that homes that are delivered, people can afford to live in and afford to heat. And I think that's a really important area because I think we've got a solution that really helps in that environment, delivering much more sustainable homes. Um, and for me, that could be a, a really good carrot to, to incentivize people to look at things differently. Yeah, and I think, my, you know, my um, hope, I guess, would be that as we start to get some critical mass, we'll be, begin to build a, a, you know, a case study book of, you know, the environments and the um, communities that we do build through through the efforts that we have been making. We, you know, there has already been um, a good step change from sort of very low volumes up to much more meaningful volumes, and we will begin to build that case study book. Um, and hopefully start to bring, as well as central government, start to bring local authorities and planners a little bit further along the journey, such that they might think themselves about how they can play their part in encouraging this particular approach, and maybe with a, you know, a, a more thoughtful approach to planning gain, 
um, that will give not only the sort of the the MMC operators, but maybe even some of the major house builders a bit more conviction about doing in a part of their delivery, at least through modern methods. It sounds like it's very much about that kind of collaboration growth at every stage of the house building uh, journey. I mean, one of the, you know, the things that, uh, you know, as, as a former sort of major house builder, we were periodically charged with um, colluding around certain areas. And actually, there's very there's no collusion really in house building, but there is cooperation. You know, the fact of the matter is, there's, a, there's plenty of room for everybody. So whilst you might compete for particular sites and compete for a bit of attention and compete for particular funds, you know, in, in truth, this is an industry where, you know, the demand exceeds the supply. You know, so actually we're very content to work well together, you know, to share a certain amount of our, um, you know, sort of trials and tribulations and talk jointly together about how we might address them. So I do think um, good, proper cooperation at the industry level actually exists already and, mm-hmm. and, and will continue to exist. And I'm sure we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we will continue to see the benefits of that.